0: Hello, and welcome to Groove Therapy, a podcast that explores the effects of live music on our brains, bodies, and our lives, and provides a space for you, our listener, to learn more about how you can bring the magic of live music into your everyday life. My name is Dr. Leah Taylor, and I am joined here with my fabulous co-host, Tara Lee Weathers.
1: Hey, 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 everyone. <laughs>
0: Hello. <gasps> hey. We have a very special episode for you all today. We are going to be focusing on fish and academia, which is a topic that I don't know, I never really thought we'd be talking about. So I'm really excited that we are.
1: I know. And it's so interesting, too. You are all in for a treat because I didn't know a lot about it. And now I know so much more and I'm so excited and inspired. And I learned so many things.
0: Yeah, so if you have ever wished that you could just take the most amazing undergraduate class ever, then you are going to find out how you actually can by our guest, Stephanie Jenkins, Dr. Stephanie Jenkins, I should say.
1: Yes, the doctor of the fish. (laughs) (laughs) That's right.
0: Yes, Dr. Stephanie Jenkins is an assistant professor in the School of History, Philosophy, and Religion at Oregon State University. And she has designed and teaches the Philosophy School of Fish, which is a four-credit college course that uses fish as a case study for exploring the philosophy of art and music. And Stephanie is also a director on the Mockingbird Foundation, which is really cool, too.
1: Yeah, she's just the coolest. And also, you'll learn, like, if you want to take this class and you're just a person that's not a student, you're also able to take this class as well. So I'm kind of like, when we're (laughs) done with this, I might look up how I can enroll and be a student again and learn from her because it's so interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It does not sound boring at all. And yeah, she really designed it in a way to where it would be accessible to lots of people, no matter where you live, even if you're listening from another country.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wish that this existed when I was in college because it would have helped boost my GPA a little bit, which (laughs) needed a little boosting.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, definitely a course that we can be interested in as listeners of the Groove Therapy podcast. Yes. Yeah. So before we get to the interview, Tara Lee, why don't you tell listeners how they can find out more about you?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm really active on Instagram. I love creating content on there; that's really fun. It always has sparkles, <laughs> and it'll likely make you laugh. So you can follow me there at Rocking Life with two underscores. And I work with people that have a ton of ideas, are just multi-passionate, and I'm really creative and you know, kind of geniuses. And they just need a little guidance on how to take all of those ideas and put them together to make one offering so they can make money and be at fish shows and dancing around while money's rolling into their bank account from the products and services that they are selling. And so if that sounds interesting to you, then you can go to my Instagram and DM me the word magic and I will reach out and we can have a conversation on what that might be like for you.
0: Yeah. So you can take a class on fish and then you can find out how to make some money doing what you love by working with Tara Lee.
1: Yeah. And you know, one of the bonuses of working for yourself is that you can plan your work schedule around Fish Tour and you could actually be working from there if you want to. Absolutely. And I think that's like one of the biggest bonuses. That's like one of the big reasons I wanted to start working for myself was <laughs> so that would be something that would be possible for me.
0: I know. Yeah. When Stephanie was talking about how she was doing tour while she was teaching the class because she offers it online, I was like, that was so Brilliant of you to, and she talks about that too in the interview how she really did design it, you know, for most accessibility for herself to be able to still experience music and her students too while they're taking it. And also, no matter where you live, you could take it too.
1: Yes. So I'm super curious about what you're up to.
0: Yes. Well, I am about to release some embodied groove virtual videos to help Woo-hoo! people. I know I'm so excited about that to help people with what I see is this like transition phase as we begin to move back out into being with live music. They are going to be four curated, um, 20 minute embodied groove videos. And you can find out all about that by signing up for my newsletter, which you can find at embodiedgroove.com. And I would love to stay in touch with you and send you some free guided meditations and just talk about lots of cool things. And then you'll be first to hear about when these new Embodied Groove virtual classes hit the something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have a hit in the something. Woo. Yes, get on Leah's list and have your world rocked so you can shine like the sun.
0: Yeah. Yep
1: yay well we are a part of the osiris podcast network and there are so many other podcasts that are a part of this network that are interesting and inspiring and funny and pretty much anything that you're looking for as a live music fan you can find so check them out osiris pod we're so grateful to be a part of this network they're wonderful and supportive and lovely people and we just want to give you a big shout out for being so amazing. And we would also love to connect with you um, on Facebook. It's the Groove Therapy Podcast community. And we would just love to you to be a part of our community. So check that out and follow us on Instagram, Groove Therapy Podcast. And the last thing is that if you want to – give us a review on apple Podcasts. we'd appreciate it and every once in a while we read their reviews on the air and then you will be uh, the most famous superstar in the entire world because we will read your review
0: yes and if you don't feel like writing anything you can always just hit those five stars preferably or however many stars you're feeling and we love that too
1: yeah we do a happy dance literally
0: yes we do
1: (laughs) all right well we'll be right back with stephanie
0: All right. And we are back and we have Stephanie here with us. Stephanie, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. So our focus for this episode is fish in academia. And I can't think of a more appropriate person to have here for this topic. So (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you kind of created this field. And so I'd love to hear, first of all, just how you really got started at Oregon State University with the Philosophy School of Fish.
2: Yeah, so like many fish fans who are also academics, I dreamed for a long time about the fish and academia projects that I could do, whether it was academic research or a class. For me, the thing that I was scheming about for a long time as a graduate student was having a class about fish and philosophy. It made a lot of sense to me because philosophy and improvisational music have a lot in common, especially the importance of the experience of uncertainty. Uh, Trey also studied philosophy in college, and there's a number of philosophical themes that come up in the band's performances. So it was something that I wanted to do, but I didn't believe it was actually possible and the reason for that was that as a student both as an undergraduate and a, a graduate student i felt pressure to hide the fan part of my life right that every time i was going off to a concert it was taking away from my studies i was being irresponsible and in order to be taken as a serious academic i just kind of left that part of my life out but right before i started my first academic position at oregon state i went to the the dicks run in 2012 and it was During the light, when I just had this epiphany that there were these two versions of me, my professional self, and then like my concert self that to me felt like the real one. And that disjunct was a kind of inauthenticity that I felt was so detrimental to my life that it's almost like it was a matter of survival. And so I vowed that in that moment that I was going to find a way to integrate myself (laughs) My life into my academic work. And so I started putting together a proposal for a philosophy of art and music class that used the band, right, Fish, as a case study and integrated different elements of the community. Proposals for a new class take a long time. I took it through the different levels of administration. Starting with my department head, then going to my my dean in the College of Liberal Arts, and uh, got the green light to go ahead. And so the first time I taught the class after I you know developed this new online class was in the summer of 2014, and uh, that summer I actually did the full tour and kind of held uh, philosophy meetups along the way, meeting with academic colleagues, but you know students and uh, anyone who was interested in kind of having a conversation about. Fish and Philosophy. And that was the beginning. The class is, it runs every year. And I kind of experimented with doing some, you know, community events because the, what I called alumni blues meetups were so successful. So I did a meetup at the Magna Ball Festival. And then in 2018, I actually decided that I wanted to take students on a field trip to the Gorge Run Because I knew the students were going to be there and that there were other academics with an interest in fish who would be present, I started inviting some of them to be guest lecturers. And as the program developed, I realized, hey, this is a really cool mini
0: conference. Mm.
2: And that's how the Gorge uh, Colloquium was born. (laughs) And then I did a field trip with students to the, uh, the Vegas run in 2018, which also went really well. So... You know, what I really like about this class is that, you know, in addition to it having kind of some standard academic content, it's really been kind of a source of creativity for me, both in terms of my research, but also my teaching. I've had, I've developed assignments specifically for that class that have been really successful that I've then taken to other classes. Hmm. And, and this is actually the argument that I use with my colleagues who aren't fish fans, right? That the reason why it's important that we teach classes like this is that professors are the most effective when we're teaching about things that we're passionate about, mm-hmm. right? So I could have a colleague teach a similar class about philosophy of sport and use football as a case study, right? but what's important for the students is that we're engaged, that we're involved with a community and that we can take these kind of abstract concepts and make them concrete for them in a way that you know, demonstrates their relevance.
1: Yeah. Would you be willing to share one of the assignments that you have given some of your students? I'm so curious. um,
2: So, the first assignment that I kind of developed in this class, right, that incubated in in the fish world was the artist interview project. And in that assignment, I um, paired students with artists from the fish community, right, whether they were musicians, poster artists, pin makers, right, and stuff. I mean, what I loved was the diversity of it. And then the students had to take the ideas that we were studying, pull out important concepts, then translate them into questions that uh, they could use as a basis for a dialogue with a member from the FISH community. And that assignment really demonstrated to me, like, sort of what's possible when you do a class like this with the FISH community, because I've never seen anything like it, right? Just the amount of time and energy and talent that fish fans were willing to share with my students was just like, I'm humbled by it on a daily basis when I teach this class. And uh, the reason why the interview assignment is academically so important is that philosophy, at least in my view, is ultimately kind of the art of asking reflective questions. And asking a good question is is pretty difficult. <laughs> so we go through, uh, you know. I have a kind of a, a program that I put together for them. Like, this is how you ask a good philosophical question. They submit drafts to me and then I help them revise them before they do the full interview. And then um, the final part of the assignment is to do a blog write-up where they kind of do a philosophical analysis of the conversation that they had with the artist. More recently, I- I've always had listening assignments built into the class, but every year I revise kind of what the students are listening to and, and change the assignment a little bit based on like what worked and what didn't the previous year. So um, the class is actually running right now. It's the first time that it's run during the regular academic year during OSU spring term. And uh, we have what I'm just calling the the listening journal assignment. And in this assignment, um, almost every week focuses on a specific song with the exception of week one, where I start them off with uh, Sigma Oasis. I find that the non-fans connect really well to that album, especially when it's paired with Trey's interview from April 2020, about like being an artist and creating during the pandemic. Uh, and then the next week we st- we immediately start moving on to kind of song specific listening. I have them start out with the album version of the song if there is one, um, so they can get a sense of the song structure. And then they listen to two to three performances from concerts of that song so that they can in addition to getting the song structure, see the kind of the creativity and uniqueness of the improvisation at each individual concert. So they, you know, Sand and Reba and Hood are early on because those are sort of more accessible to the non-fans. And then we just jump into Tweezer and Ghost.
0: (laughs) That is so cool. So when you, like the students that come for this class, you're mentioning Fish fans and non fish fans, like what is the mix like for people who are signing up for the class?
2: I love answering this question because when I was dreaming about this course, what I imagined was sort of a, a spinoff of a fish.net forum and that I would be geeking out about philosophy with fish fans. And it's funny that I thought that because it's so obvious that that is not what would be the case because, I mean, Oregon is not exactly like the, the hotbed of you know creating a new fish fan. So most of the fans, I mean, most of the students uh, start out with zero exposure to fish. Some of them have just never heard of the band. Some of them like know of the band, but haven't really listened to it. Uh, But you know, they might have an uncle who's a huge fish fan. So they're at least kind of is in their radar. Other students might have listened to an album or they know the song Farmhouse. And that's the majority of the students, right? It's it's a different mix of never heard of fish to, you know, I I know a couple songs that they that they played and then each year there's always like like a cluster ranging from 1 to 3 veteran fans oftentimes they've even been to more shows than i have right who are just there because they don't want academic credit they're just really excited about the class mm-hmm. and and want to talk about fish and i always really value those participants because you know while they're students they end up kind of serving an informal teaching assistant role mm-hmm. because when the students in the discussion boards are asking questions about fish you know, they go in and answer them, and and sometimes those answers are actually more effective than the ones that I give, because of course the student. I mean, they know I'm a huge fish fan. They expect me to have you know positive comments and so forth. Mm-hmm. But you know, to have a, one of their peers come in, you know, and explain right, this is what the meat stick dance is, right? <laughs> or this is my this is my favorite tweezer. But here are 15 other ones that I that I tr- I cherish. Mm-hmm. Right? That that really kind of brings the message home. Do they
1: do you find that a lot of your students end up becoming fish fans and going to shows from that point on?
2: With very few exceptions, they leave the class with a musical appreciation for and and respect for the talent and creativity of the band. They don't necessarily leave as fans, and I'm okay with that. That's not really my goal for the class. But some of them do leave as fans, right? They end up going to their their first shows, or uh, there, there's actually a a, a disjunct with uh, the online class versus the students that participated in a field trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, The class is online for some pretty important reasons. Um, If I were to offer it through OSU's residential course catalog, the course could only be offered in Corvallis, Oregon in a physical classroom. And what that would mean is that fish fans who wanted to take the class wouldn't be able to unless Mm -hmm. they just happened to live in Oregon. And I always wanted the, the academic work that I did in the community to be accessible to the community because, you know, we we are the people that make that possible. And then the other advantage of having it be an online class is that the students and my, and also me, right? Like we're all mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can travel to concerts and we're not tied to a physical location. The downside is that, you know, as we all know, right? As fans, that couch tour is just simply not the same as, as a, a going to a physical concert. Uh, but when you teach a class online, because students could be anywhere in the world. I mean, I've had students take this class who are located in Saudi Arabia, right? You can't require them to be anywhere at any particular time. Everything's asynchronous. Mm -hmm. So while the class works really, really well in some ways, and they definitely do get a sense of the power of the community and the uniqueness and creativity of the music, they don't get that embodied experience unless they kind of take it upon themselves to go to a show physically. And so what happened um, on the two field trips is that the students that came out of those events use words like life-changing pretty much universally Mm -hmm. because what they learn, they get to kind of put into action. Um, They get integrated into the community. And, you know, in a big part of the, the experience of being at a show, it is the community, right? So that when they meet fans and can you know, have fans who are more experienced with the band answer their questions, right? It it really kind of brings things home. So for example, at the, the Gorge field trip, I gave students kind of a scavenger hunt of assignments that they had to do. So they had to locate, a, you know, a fan who had been to more than 50 shows and ask them some questions. They had to find a group of fans to teach them the meat stick dance because of course they wouldn't know it, right? And th- so there's a whole list of things. And, and what that kind of forced them to do was to get out into the community. And then when they started telling fans that they were a part of the class, they got excited and started asking questions about like, what are, what are you learning? And that meant that my students were kind of put on the spot and actually had to kind of teach things that we were learning to other people. And that's always the best kind of learning, right? It's, you know, I can give them a lecture in Zoom or um, write up a summary of the material for them and they won't take away as much of that from that experience as they would if they're internalizing it and translating it and repeating it themselves. Can
0: you highlight some of the, like, maybe one concept that they might be learning just to kind of bring it into context for our listeners?
2: Yeah. So um, the very first unit that we study is the concept of music ontology. Uh, Ontology is a technical philosophical term for the study of being. So when we talk about music ontology, it's essentially like, what is music? Right. What makes music different from just, you know, noise. And so I pair a reading by Leo Tolstoy um, that's called What Is Art? with a Fishman vacuum solo performance. And then in the discussion board, they debate about whether or not it counts as music. So pretty much, they like every year, the, almost all of them initially say, there's no way this counts as music, this is awful. And then they do the reading and they come back and say, actually, okay, like it, it is a performance of music. I just don't like it, right? So the point is to get them to distinguish the sort of the definition of music from their own kind of subjective experience of whether or not it's good. Um, and uh, And I like to laugh about the fact that really the first thing that students in this class listen to is a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I figure it's best to just load the weirdness in the beginning of the term yeah. so that if they don't want to be there, they can leave. Um, uh, we also have a unit on the concept of the sublime, which is paired with a reading from Immanuel Kant's third critique. But I like to tell Fish fans that the idea of the sublime is very similar to what we talk about as it in the community. And so that goes really well with kind of like pairing it with a transcendent hood jam. That's so
0: cool. So in these, thank you for sharing that, uh, by the way, that's, that's awesome. In the field trips, like, can you describe an experience that, you know, somebody might have had, like going to the show um, that was life changing or, you know, why they might have said that?
2: To be honest, it's the people. Right. The friendships that they made along the way, you know, they start out with a sheet that of homework, essentially, from their professor of this is who you have to find. Right. Kind of an abstract concept of a, someone who's been more to more than 50 shows. And, 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 and they don't believe that they're going to find that person <laughs> when really like they're everywhere. Right. With a list of questions. But then, you know, they find someone to talk to and that person has a name right? They have a city where they're from and a job that they can talk about. And they have a story about their first show. And they can tell in very concrete detail, this is why I love this band so much that I'm taking time out of my basically a music festival experience to do your homework with you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that really, I mean, I know how amazing the community is, right? And the reason why I built that assignment was because I knew that people would want to talk to the students. But even with that kind of Abstract knowing, I was still myself, blown away by, like I said, that just the time and energy and and caring that people offered to my students. You know, some of the uh, the students they would meet people that they were interviewing, and then they got adopted by crews, mm-hmm. and then they went to the shows with the people that they were interviewing, mm-hmm. right? And it's so it was really just a privilege to watch all of that unfold. I'm so grateful that I'm at an institution that was willing to kind of let me experiment and take that kind of risk to bring college students into a festival environment. Uh, And it really, it's just the, the risk was worth the reward in these instances. Yeah,
1: I love our community so much. I just I can picture that, like just being taken under a wing and being like, hey, kid, like, come to the show with us. And like, we'll take care of you and show you the best time ever. That's just is like, so exactly how our community is. And why I love it so much is
2: that people, even if they didn't know about it ahead of time, right, that they're like, Oh, my God, there's a college student here, like, who's at their first show, and they're doing homework. I want to make sure you have the best time. <laughs> yeah. right? So, you know, so they just got kind of adopted and, and integrated into the community. You know, it's, I gave them a list of sort of like rules and guidelines for going to the concert, right? Like, don't talk during tweezer. <laughs> and, uh, but, but one of the suggestions I gave them is that if you don't know what's going on, just ask the person next to you, and they will fill you in. And that they didn't quite believe that that would work, but it did.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, What were some of the other rules? Because I think this is maybe rules for probably (laughs) everybody.
2: (laughs) Um, Well, So some of them were legally very important rules. And some of them were just like suggested guidelines for going to a concert sort of you know, like don't go in right before the concert starts. (laughs) You know, you want some extra time so that you can find a seat because it's general admission. Um, Don't talk during tweezer, like wear sneakers (laughs) 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 because they didn't necessarily know that. And then, you know, the the rules uh, were because they are OSU students on a field trip, they are bound by the university's code of conduct and state and federal laws in that environment. And I don't, particularly enjoy enforcing things and, but it was important that they kind of knew what we were getting into because, you know, this was the first time that a field trip like this had happened and, you know, we were in the van rolling into uh, the venue. I'm just like, raise your hand if you have ever been to a field, like a a field trip to a concert for credit, (laughs) Right raise your hand if you have a friend, <laughs> like, do you know anybody who's done this before? Okay, right. This is something really special. So do not mess this up for everybody else. And and that was sort of where I left it. I am a philosophy professor. I'm not a camp counselor. And they were adults who signed kind of the field trip waiver forms. And we just left it at that. And there were no problems. The worst thing that happened was one of the students lost her cell phone in the middle of the night. So she finds me and then we had to go to sort of the different sections of of the camping sites to find it because we were using Apple's find my phone feature. And somehow this kind of resulted in a turn of events of us riding around in a golf cart (laughs) with the local police looking for her cell phone, right? Like in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. So it eventually showed up in the morning and I have some funny golf cart marathon footage.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you have to um, warn them not to, like, drink water from a stranger or something? Like, don't let people dose you <laughs> kind of situation? You know, I
2: didn't put that on the list. But if I have another field trip, I probably will. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's better to be safe than sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So you haven't done this again since 2018,
2: huh? Uh, the yeah. The field so trip. It was the gorge in the summer and then in the fall, the Vegas run. Yeah.
0: Is there a reason that you didn't do it the next? I mean, I guess it would just have been 2019.
2: So, yeah, in 2019, um, I was thinking about it, but I had dumped so much time and energy into the conference that it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was the focus for that year. And I, but I did sort of have in the back of my man, mind plans for doing another field trip, but right, like sort of COVID has made that, has delayed those plans.
0: Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Fish Studies Conference, since you just mentioned it, and I'd love to hear (laughs) about that too.
2: So the Fish Studies Conference was an academic conference that was devoted entirely to research about the band. It was really an unprecedented event. You know, there have been conferences about other bands you know there have been classes about other bands but there has never been this kind of uh, like a standalone conference with this level of integration of the community and involvement from the community and it wasn't just the community engagement that was impressive the work that was being done was impressive by any academic standard we had over 50 presentations take place over the course of three days and our presenters were from over 20 states and also Canada right so it was a kind of a a really broad national representation of academics from a diversity of disciplines and it went really well Um, there were fans who were present who weren't academics there were academics who had never had any experience with fish and so the conference was their kind of first exposure and, uh, and then there were fan academics who, uh, who were there presenting their work. Uh, we had undergraduate students who received a, an unusual level of professional mentoring, graduate students who got to give presentations about the work that they were doing about FISH so that, that they could then go back to their universities and get academic credit for having given a presentation at an R1 institution, right? It, it gave a kind of credibility to to academic work about fish that I don't think existed before. And as a result, really made the dreams come true of um, a lot of uh, fish academics. The community events uh, might have been my favorite part about the conference, simply because it demonstrated the level of buy-in and commitment from the fish community to academic work on fish. There was an art exhibit and pop-up museum called Below the Moss, Forgotten, that was curated by Alex Grosby in collaboration with Pete Mason from Fan Art. Um, And that was just kind of set up in the lobby outside the main presentation room all weekend. Uh, We had a a sneak peek and question and answer session with Michael Ryan Lawrence about the film, We've Got It Simple. There was a Q and A, session and book signing with Benji Eisen for the book deal that he was a co-author of with Bill Kreutzman. Fish.net had a community panel that featured a number of directors from the Mockingbird Foundation. Uh, We even had a concert. Left on Wilson is a Eugene-based band. That um, you know, in addition to some of their original content, they played a lot of Fish covers. So like, of course, a Fish conference needs some mm-hmm. kind of, like musical event. There was an exhibition and poster fair that uh, people informally were calling the shakedown. And what was you know, so there were um, artists and businesses, kind of like at a fan art show, that were set up selling their works. And I was actually running around taking down all of the signs that people were putting up, calling it shakedown. Like you guys, <laughs> this is not. A shakedown. It's a professional event, <laughs> so, and um, uh, you know, but but it, that went really well, it was nice to you know be able to pick up a t-shirt uh, after a conference presentation, and then uh, there was also a it was a devotion to a dream arts exhibit that was part of the Corvallis Arts Walk that featured artwork from Stephen Olker, uh, Ryan Kerrigan, and then the Healing Hearts Project. And so that was also, that wasn't located on campus. It was in downtown Corvallis. It's a part of a kind of a regular spring and summer event that the community plans. And so that also kind of introduced people who might not have been familiar with fish to the band and and also the fact that the conference was taking place. That's awesome.
0: So it was all at Oregon State University on campus. Yeah. Besides that part that you just Mm -hmm. mentioned. That's so cool. And I love, first of all, I just loved your story at the beginning, like how you had that epiphany during light where it was just like... I have to merge these two parts of myself and I like I just had goosebumps the whole time you were talking about that and then to know that not only are you doing this for yourself but now like you're supporting other academics and feeling that they can feel confident in pursuing this research and this work and I just want to say like how awesome that is and I had my own experience too with, you know, just researching live music. It wasn't necessarily even, you know, band specific, but like, I remember the moment where I knew that that's what I was going to do my dissertation on. And I just like started crying because my whole body was like, it was like so many emotions. It was like relief because, oh my God, I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But it's also freeing. like It's so freeing. Absolutely. But then there's also that like that fear, too, of like, oh, my God, I'm stepping out in this, you know, because there, of course, are a lot of other easier roads that can be taken, you know, but like to step into this is what I'm here to do. And this is important. And if I am not going to say this is important, then who else is going to say that this is important? You know, and so that's awesome.
2: Really am incredible how much energy, like physically, emotionally, mentally, it takes up to hide part of yourself, right? Especially for us, that part of ourselves that's so important, right? That That fish is kind of at the core of your mind, body, and spirit, or live music generally, right? It defines who we are. And to be in an environment where you feel like you can't tell other people about this piece of you. It's terrifying because you're worried you're going to get caught. It's uh, physically exhausting because you you know have to be constantly filtering and regulating what you're telling people. When you go to shows, you might be worried that like someone's going to take a picture of you or a colleague's going to be there and you'll get outed somehow. It's just an awful lot of worrying. And so, kind of outing myself as a fan, as we were, as you were describing, Leah, like it just had this kind of liberating sort of experience of a a weight being lifted off my shoulders, but it did also come with the fear because there was this moment, like, especially after getting so far into the conference planning and the announcement in which like this cannot be rolled back. It's really happening. And I sort of, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) And and then just running through my mind of all the things that could potentially go wrong by like, you know, kind of holding an event like this on on a university campus, when all of this is happening, not just before I went up for tenure, it was the very year that Mm. my application was being processed. Like, so, you know, alongside conference planning, I'm putting together my tenure proposal and I realized that I kind of just jumped off a cliff. (laughs) You know, but to quote the lyric, if you want to fly, let go. I mean, that's what (laughs) happened. I really believe that when when you're yourself, when you follow your passions, and when you do it with other people who share those passions, it will find a way. And I kind of came to terms with it that if I'm going to stay in academia, if I'm going to get tenure, it's going to be on my own terms, not on someone else's. And thank Ikyulys, it all worked out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love everything about this, obviously. This is like (laughs) a lot of what I stand for as well. And fish and just live music in general was like one of the first experiences that I had where I like allowed myself to be who I truly was. And then I had the same thing where it was like, real life Tara versus show Tara. And I was like, how do I like bring these people together? Because they're the same person. And I slowly started outing myself and wearing more sparkles every day. (laughs) And Like, little by little, all of a sudden, I was like dancing down the street all the time head to toe in sparkles with a feather headpiece on like a Tuesday. (laughs) Um, Because that's who I am
2: at a show. And that's who I am. In regular life, I love too. it. No, I so respect the work that you do, and you as well, Leah. Because it it's not just transformative for yourself when you when you follow your passion, right? When you find ways to integrate your show self and your regular world self, and you do it publicly, it gives other people permission to do the same, right? And not just permission. It's also, I mean, Tara, One of the things that it's also cool about what you're what I see you doing on your Instagram is uh, like giving people homework assignments, right? <laughs> and you, you, do, you do both do this in the podcast too, in the, the episodes mm-hmm. that I listened to kind of getting ready for this interview, right? It's and just little pieces of that bit by bit, it's transformative of our world.
1: Yeah, I love giving people homework. I don't know what, (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) I was never like good at homework in school. So I don't know what that's about. But I love it. So glad that yeah, it's a teacher part
0: of you inside.
1: Yeah. And I remember that light that you're talking about. I was there and I remember having a transformative experience during it It was like the portal was open. And (laughs) I was like, communicating (laughs) with other dimensions and actually got a lot of ideas and things that are in to practice now. So I think there was something there because that happened to you and that happened to me. And I know that that happened to countless other people that were Mm -hmm. at that show too.
2: I bet if you threw that out to social media, that you would find that a lot of people had epiphanies during that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we would
1: love Hey, everyone listening. If you had an epiphany, please reach out to us. On our Facebook community, the Group Therapy Podcast community, and and let us know. My
2: my non-FISH classes, right? So my hires in moral theory, I I primarily teach courses in different aspects of ethics. And so I was teaching Introduction to Ethics in the fall of 2012. And the syllabus that I had put together was just kind of the standard syllabi that I had been teaching for years as a graduate student as a like a moral theory class and I'm teaching this class and realizing like what is the point of this right these very abstract theories that the students aren't connecting to right that they might remember for a a paper or an exam but they're going to forget six months afterwards why don't I integrate activities and like community engagement and different kinds of assignments that will help them make the ideas relevant to their own lives. But the problem was that I had already given the students the syllabus, right? And so it is sort of like a contract between you and the students of what we're gonna do each term. And I just, my heart wasn't in it. And I realized I could, I could kind of go through the motions of teaching this material for the rest of the term and teach it next, you know, differently next term, or I could do what I think is pedagogically right for the students and change the syllabus. So I, you know, I kind of asked some colleagues, got permission to switch things up. And I went into the next class, told all the students to get their syllabus. Okay, we're going outside. And then we went outside and I'm like, okay, we're going to tear up the syllabus together. And because I wanted them to have that. I mean, I could have just said, hey, here's the new syllabus. But the whole point Mm -hmm. was that I wanted them to physically experience the kind of transformation that we were undergoing. I thought you
0: were going to say that we burned it outside. Oh, geez, You're great.
2: No, I have. Uh, need tenure for that <laughs>
0: <laughs> right <laughs>
2: okay. and now you could do it <laughs> and then some of the students loved it and some of them just the comments i got from like in my teaching evaluations that term <laughs> some, some of them were really just pissed off because it's uh, like i said that you know improvisational music and velocity share this kind of the experience of uncertainty -hmm. And some students are more comfortable with that than others, but I mean, that's what the Light Jam did to me. Is I decided to develop, you know, this fishing philosophy class, and I went back home and made my students tear up their (laughs) syllabus.
0: That's so awesome. It's so true, though.
2: I was just going to say to the listeners out there, what did the Light Jam do to you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, can you remind listeners of what show that was? I know it was was, 2012. Yeah, 2012. But what? What? Where? Oh, at Dick's. At Dick's. Okay, right. Yeah, the Dix, yeah. The Dick's light. Okay. I had forgotten. <laughs> it was a reminder to me, too. Yeah. I was not at Dick's in I 2012. Mean, I think
1: it's so funny because this is like fish lingo, right? Where you're like, I saw the light at Dick's, like, anywhere. <laughs> Have anyone else heard you say that? They'd be like, excuse me? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well and Stephanie, have <laughs> you I mean, obviously you have support in your university, but like along the way have you like what has that been like as far as yeah, support from other faculty and the institution?
2: I was not expecting just the, the sheer amount of support I got with this project and and, and that was probably kind of self-imposed because for so long I had, you know, hidden the fan part of myself and just imagined that everybody would be critical of Mm -hmm. it. So I started with, you know, a colleague and friend in my unit and like, I'm thinking about proposing that would other people be open to it? And she's, Oh my God, you should do that. Really? Really? Are you sure? Right. And so then I went up a level. I went to the director of the school of history, philosophy, and religion. And he's like, this is a great idea. Yeah. No, like I was in a band with Mike Gordon in high school. So. (laughs) you know it's like okay so i'm like i really 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 want to be sure that this is going to going to go over okay so then i go to the dean of the college of liberal arts he's like my boss's boss and i'm like here's my p- proposal for a pilot god this is a great idea why don't you get a group of students put them on a bus and take them on tour to some shows and so i'm like <laughs> looking at got to be kidding me i don't want to be responsible for College students at a fish show. <laughs> I want to teach an online class, right? It's and so because one of the other advantages of the online class is that I'm not responsible for them if and when they decide to go to shows. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, it probably just the like my own mind chattering about things that I would be, kind of be worried about at shows. But you know, it's just every year I did the class and it kind of had these these meetups with students. I got more comfortable having students in that context. I mean, the, the first year that I did uh, the the like the full tour alongside of the class, and I would kind of like bump into students there on the floor. And it was uncomfortable for me because what I realized that it's not just there, that there's that professional kind of personal boundary, it's embodied in ways that like we don't even realize. And because at a show, I feel like I'm my like kind of authentic self that students don't see, I felt vulnerable and exposed and just downright naked to have them there in ways that weren't necessarily like fully rational. And just, I got more comfortable with it. And then the, the Gorge field trip was really kind of, you know, jumping into the deep end by, you know, taking a, a van full of students off to, you know, three nights and of camping and mm-hmm. music. And I had, I had conversations with the risk management office about how to like navigate boundaries and what, you know, they said, well, camp separately from the students and then just have a schedule so it's clear of what, like when's class time and when they're on their own time. And so I initially wasn't planning on going to the shows physically with the students, um, but just in the mixing of crews and, um, you know, finding spots on the floor it actually sort of ended up happening that I was on the floor with a group of students. And the thing that this is also true Probably true for a lot of people, but there are some fish songs that I cannot listen to without. I mean, like it's not just crying; it's just like this very visceral bawling. Uh, I don't even remember what show it is, but I'm on the floor, like completely blissed out, with my hands up and dancing and crying like a baby. And there are students there. Like, oh my (laughs) god, this is so embarrassing. Whatever. Like, I'm here. I'm here to do my thing. And then after the show, one of the students comes up to me and she says. Dr. Jenkins, is it okay if I say something that might be a little uncomfortable? Yeah, like whatever, right? You know, it's, you can you can ask me anything. And she just said, it was so amazing to see you blissed out to fish, right? And then, and then in that moment, I realized like the thing that I thought I wasn't supposed to do, which is to cry in front of students because I'm so happy about how beautiful the music is, it's exactly the very thing that should be happening Right. And that when they said that the field trips were life changing, right. Part of it is that they get to see that their professors are people who have passions, like who do things like go to concerts and that they just like, right. Just have that pure, authentic, unadulterated love for this changes their understanding of what's possible in the world. And, and in some ways, that's so simple. It's like, really, all I had to do was go to a show with some students, and then they realized that their career path could be different. But it, it's more than that, right? It's actually, it, it, there's so many kind of steps and mental obstacles that I had to jump through to get to that point. And it's why I just, that and, and similar things happened in Vegas. And I really would like to kind of do the field trip again. Because I like to teach the classes that I wish I could have had when I was a college student.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: you're teaching the kind of class that I wish that I took when I was a college student or that was available. (laughs) Yeah, well,
0: and why don't you tell people who are now like, I want to sign up for these classes, like how they might be able to do that?
2: For people who are already enrolled in the OSU system, there's a separate process, but I'm assuming that most of your listeners are, are, are not OSU students. And so one of the cool things about OSU eCampus is that you can sign up as a non-degree student, which means like, you can enroll just for one class. And I, and I frequently have students, like, the only reason why they're enrolled is because they want to take the fish class. Mm-hmm. I put the information up every time the class is going to run at uh, philosophyschooloffish.com. Uh, and uh, and then it, there's a link to the kind of the enrollment instructions for OSU eCampus. But also, you can just search OSU eCampus philosophy listings. Uh, there's a we have a new philosophy major, and there's actually a picture of the class uh, field trip that's featured mm-hmm. on that, on the website. So it, it's not hard to find with a Google search. There's a a very kind of minimal application that you have to do to fill, you know, fill out to apply, right, to be an OSU eCampus student. But, and, and of course, if anybody wants to take the class and has questions about the process, you can just email me and I can can answer any questions that you have.
0: Okay. And they can find you through Oregon State University.
2: Yeah. It's, so my email is jankstep, J-E-N-K-S-T-E-P at oregonstate.edu. Okay. Sounds like a dance move.
0: <laughs> <laughs> jankstep. Yeah. And it's the class is running right now, so it probably won't be offered again until next year.
2: It's running right now, and it ends in mid-June. It might be offered this summer, but I'm kind of still in conversations with my department about what's happening. So. Okay. I can't tell you for certain. Got it.
0: But definitely next year. Well, this has been so incredible and like I'm so inspired now. I want to go to another fish studies conference and <laughs> and see your students on tour so that I can tell them all about my first show and my experiences. What else should our listeners know before we start? Can say I plug goodbye? an upcoming event? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So- <laughs> I'm a director for the Mockingbird Foundation. We are an all volunteer nonprofit that supports music education for youth in America. And we are about to celebrate our 25th anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah, Thank you. It's pretty exciting. And in celebrating our 25th anniversary and to raise awareness about music education and also thank our supporters, we are hosting what is essentially a three-day virtual music festival in collaboration with fans.com. It's going to air June 4th through 6th, and there's going to be some fantastic original music and uh, unique collaborations that uh, you might not expect that are going to be fantastic. Um, but mm-hmm. then what's also really cool about this, because this is kind of my personal dream for the, like, the future of academia, is that there's an academic unit of the festival where uh, in addition to the, the live music performances, there will be these master classes featuring um, some really fantastic musicians in you know philosophical interviews about music education and improvisation. So, for example, one of the panels is focusing on bass players, and in that, I interview uh, Reed Mathis, Karina Reichman, and and Chris and Reichman and Chris Wood. It was yeah. really an honor to you know get to interact with them and see how they had a dialogue with with one another as colleagues. And um, we're really looking forward to sharing that with everybody. So, I hope your audience will turn out for it. Uh,
0: yes, definitely. And you say that's a panel, right? So everybody's together. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, not it's, just separate so interviews. There, there's a
2: variety of different panels that focus on, on different topics that will uh, kind of run alongside the music content.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was just making sure they're all, they're like communicating with each other about that topic. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, That's awesome. So that cool. will be fascinating.
1: Those three are yeah. like my, some of my favorite bassists that have ever existed in the entire world.
2: Well, me too, <laughs> which is why it's, oh, you know, I said, it's so amazing. Um, but I can tell you all our Reed Mathis fan club meeting after we, you know, stop recording. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah, his episode definitely, I mean, they're all amazing. But if you haven't listened to the Reed Mathis, Groove therapy episode part one and part two, you definitely need to do so as soon as you finish listening to this yeah, episode. Well, actually
1: I was I was, I was thinking about him when you were talking, Stephanie, about the light experience that you had at Dick's because Reed was talking about how we like, if we feel safe with the people around us and we trust the musicians to take us to this place, when they're improvising in this way, we're able to like kind of open all the portals and allow ourselves to go to that place where you can be healed or whatever it's like that you know that place that magical place and you're able to to get there and so he talked about that how it's like once you feel safe in your surroundings and you trust the band and all those things you're allowed to experience that so I think that's why during light we all like because we were all, I was, I was trusted all the people around me. I trusted the band to take me there. And then I was there. And that's, so that's probably why that happened to you. And Reed explained it so beautifully. In he really did. The podcast.
2: A, you know, one of the things I love about Reed is that he's such a philosopher. Yeah. Like, to hear mm-hmm. him, it's not just that he's a fantastic bass player, but that he can, you know, so succinctly and articulately explain the craft Right, and the you know the importance of live music, and um, right, the relationship between the band, the different players amongst themselves, but then also with the audience is um, uh, really thought provoking.
1: Yeah, he did a much better mm-hmm. job of explaining that than I just did. <laughs> he's so like he's just so articulate, like you said. I can't even
0: articulate. <laughs> I did it. All right. Well, anything else before we say goodbye?
2: Thank you. I mean, it really was such a delight to talk about this, these topics with you. These are things that I love and I'm always happy to, you know, talk to anybody about them, but I really admire both of you as just, you know, like, like I said before we started recording, uh, badass women in the fish community, you know, just like, thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. This is amazing. I'm like, I'm so excited to re-listen to this podcast when it comes out into the world because I feel like there is so much there that I wanted to like grasp onto and remember forever and ever. You're so interesting (laughs) and cool.
2: Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. I look forward to many more conversations to come. Deal. Yes. All right. Well, for now, thank you so much, Stephanie. And we will be right back. Bye. And we're back. So that was interesting, right? So interesting. I loved that conversation so much. I learned so much and it just like felt parallel to some of my experiences. And yeah, it was inspiring and exciting.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I'm like, really interested in the possibility of taking that class myself and being a student again, putting on that hat and seeing what happens.
0: Yeah, it sounds so interesting. And I mean, Fish fans are so passionate. And like, you know, it does not surprise me at all that the students were able to easily find somebody that was willing to take them under their wing and to tell them all about their experiences. And even like, the veterans in the class that would come on the the message board or the, whatever they call it, you know, their class online forum and would, you know, just answer questions because people who love fish love to talk about fish. Yeah.
1: And we hold like people that are like these fans, you know, we hold the band. It's like so special to us and it's so sacred. And I also feel like the community is just as important and just as, as sacred to the experience as well mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that this is like everything she was talking about with her students and going to the show is just a testament of how amazing we all are as fans of this band. Fish. Yeah. I
0: thought that was really interesting that like their life changing experience really, it wasn't necessarily about the music at all. It was about the community that of course comes out of the music, but you know, it, it is so much more than like just the present live experience. Like there's so much more that encompasses that, that can have a profound effect on people.
1: Yeah. And so it's like, you know, music is a vibration and like a vibration is really, we either like that vibration or we don't like that vibration, which is Mm -hmm. why people like different kinds of music. So all the people Mm -hmm. that like fish really love that vibration of music. So we all have something in common and speak this unspoken language. And mm-hmm. so even if the people that were the students maybe didn't, like, jive with the music so much, they jived with the people that it attracted. And then maybe one day mm-hmm. we'll win them over.
0: Because,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they like us, they'll eventually like the music, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Did you know... So I would love to talk about another woman who is bringing the music that we love into academia, and her name is Dr. Rebecca Adams. She is at UNC Greensboro, and many years ago, I think back in the 1990s, she actually led some students on Grateful Dead tour. So she's a professor of sociology, and she's done a lot of research on sociology and the Grateful Dead But she also wrote an article entitled Stigma and the Inappropriately Stereotyped, the Deadhead Professional, which I think relates very well to what we were speaking about earlier with what Dr. Jenkins went through as she was at, you know, her the concert at Dick's and having that experience during light about realizing how important it was to merge her two selves into one and really show up as herself in academia and to highlight the the things that she's passionate about, to be able to really teach her students in an in a more embodied way. And, you know, I just thought it was really interesting that Dr. Adams also had such a similar experience that she felt it she felt compelled to write an article about it. And one of the things that she talks about in this article is that research shows that, well, she talks about the kind of effect of tribal stigma. So this is stigma against a whole group of people, which is really what we're talking about when we talk about how people perceive fish fans or Grateful Dead fans or whatever kind of jam band group or any any kind of fan, you know, maybe it's a heavy metal fan or something that that is not what society sees as normal. And that's really the thing. It's it's about other people in society thinking that, you know, we don't appear as we should be because Here we are as adults and oh my gosh, God forbid, we're going off multiple weekends in a row or even during the middle of the week when we're supposed to be working to go have fun at these concerts. And why on earth would anybody mature adult choose to do that? But the thing is, is that we know why we are doing that because it fills us so much and we receive so many benefits from going out and Being with this music that we love so much, for so many of us, it's a spiritual experience. It's an opportunity to really connect deeply with ourselves, with others, to release, to refresh, all of the millions of ways that we've talked about throughout all of these episodes of Groove Therapy about why this is so important. But so when, when people are perceiving others as different and they have this tribal stigma against other people, they actually perceive people who have voluntarily joined this stigmatized group as more negative. So if someone is forced into doing something with a group, then a person from the outside can look at them and say, "Well, it's not their fault because they were forced into it." But with joining a group such as being a fan of a band, you know, most of the time that is our own choosing and so it's a voluntary association that we're choosing to say, yes, I am a fan of this band and this is part of who I am. And so actually people from the outside see that as they're more stigmatized and it's more negative because you're actually choosing to be a fan of this band. And why on earth would you ever do that? Because that's not what normal adults are supposed to be doing. And that is why it is so important for professionals, whether it's in academia or you know Katie Tour is another person so she's a, a news anchor on MSNBC and maybe you have heard her talk before, but I think she's done just an amazing job of putting of destigmatizing the fact of being a fish fan because here she is, this like beautiful, smart professional that you know really can stand up against the you know anybody. And talk about current events and, you know, really knows what she's talking about. And she claims her fish fandomness with like unabashedly. She's like, yeah, I'm a fish fan and I'm going to throw out all of these references to fish. And it's so cool. And I just I'm so appreciative of her standing up in her fish fandomness. And I, I believe that that's what we need to do. And I feel like more and more people are. But the more that we do that and the more that we say, yes, I am choosing to be a fan of this band and I love it and that's a part of who I am. And yeah, maybe it does make me different than you, but that doesn't make me any less than you. And so it's just really important for us to, as professionals, to say, yeah, I am a fan of this band.
1: Yes, I love everything about that because it's so true. There is such a like stigma or people just have assumptions of what they think that people that like this kind of music are like and I think they're actually most people their assumptions are so wrong like almost the opposite of what the crowd is actually like
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah so thank you for that information so interesting and I love that people are like presenting this in university settings so interesting and so cool (laughs) Yeah. All right. So for my section.
0: Daily Jam.
1: This one came from Stephanie because this is actually an assignment that she gives to her students. And so I asked her, I was like, hey, for my Daily Jam, I think it'd be really cool to have an assignment from you that you've given to your students. And so that's what we're going to do. So her suggestion is that you go to fish.net and check out the jam charts, and pick out, and everything's right, so there'll be a lot of choices to choose from, so you're just going to pick one that you want to listen to, and then she said to put on headphones and listen to it and either go for a walk or dance, and that she uses this in her class when people are feeling really stressed or just overwhelmed, they use it as a mantra and they sing it so there's bonus points if you're going for a walk or dancing in your house to sing the song out loud and that's my daily jam
0: yeah and then let us know how you feel afterwards by going to the groove therapy podcast community on facebook
1: yes we would love 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 to hear from you and we're a part of the Osiris Podcast Network, and we're so grateful to be a part of that. And you could also, if you want to get in touch with us, follow us on Instagram at Groove Therapy Podcast and leave a review for us for, on uh, Apple Podcasts. And you could also follow us all the places where you listen to podcasts, like probably the one that you're listening to us at right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, just hit that follow button, and then you'll always be notified of a new episode. And it also helps other people to be able to find this podcast too. So if you're loving it, then maybe some other people might too.
1: Yeah, this can be, I so Stephanie said, I like giving homework. So I'm going to give you another homework assignment. And that is, if you like this podcast, I want you to share it with one person in your life who you think would love it too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. We appreciate all of your support and we are so grateful that you are here listening we love you so much.
1: Yeah, well, we hope you have the most amazing day ever because everything's right. So just hold tight. And now we can say mm-hmm. that we'll see you at a show because it's happening. Ah, <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone.
0: Bye.